the Gospel of Matthew, in case uh, you didn't know that. We're on Matthew chapter 15, if you will turn there in your copy of the Scripture or however you obtain uh, the Word of God. Matthew chapter 15, beginning at verse 29. text um, reads as follows. Departing from there, Jesus went along by the Sea of Galilee, and having gone up on the mountain, he was sitting there. And large crowds came to him, bringing with them those who were lame, crippled, blind, mute, and many others. And they laid them down at his feet, and he healed them. So the crowd marveled as they saw the mute speaking, the crippled restored, and the lame walking, and the blind seeing, and they glorified the God of Israel. And Jesus called his disciples to him and said, I feel compassion for the people, because they have remained with me now three days and have nothing to eat. And I do not want to send them away hungry, for they might faint on the way. The disciples said to him, Where would we get so many loaves in this desolate place to satisfy such a large crowd? And Jesus said to them, How many loaves do you have? And they said, Seven, and a few small fish. And he directed the people to sit down on the ground. And he took the seven loaves and the fish, and giving thanks, he broke them and started giving them to the disciples, and the disciples gave them to the people. And they all ate and were satisfied. And they picked up what was left over of the broken pieces, seven large baskets full. And those who ate were 4,000 men, besides women and children. And sending away the crowds, Jesus got into the boat and came to the region of Magadan. I'm using as a, a title for these verses this morning, The Compassion of Christ. Many people, and I'm sure this includes you, like sequels to your favorite literature or movie. After 30 years, we're all aware that Tom Cruise had a sequel to his movie, Top Gun. And it was shared around the nation. Typically, sequels develop a theme ex or expand upon something done in an earlier production. Our text is a sequel. It's a sequel of Jesus' ministry in the Gentile territory. It was during his time there that he cast out a demon from a little girl. You may remember that from last week. A little girl who was uh, cruelly demon-possessed, and her mother beseeched Jesus repeatedly to have mercy on her and deliver her child from demon possession. Jesus called that woman a woman of great faith. Uh, that woman was a Gentile. Though Jesus' priority in ministry was to the lost sheep of the house of Israel, that primacy of Israel did not preclude ministry to those outside Israel. 
It did not keep our Lord from ministering to those who weren't a part of the chosen people of God. In fact, he intentionally ministered to them. He intentionally waited for them to come to him. You see in verse 29, the, I guess we could call it the A portion, it says, departing from there. Stop there at that point in the sentence. What that means is not that he left Gentile land, but he left Tyre and Sidon. He went to another place in Gentile territory. Now, Matthew doesn't tell us this. You, you, you won't deduce that from reading this text. However, in the parallel passage in Mark chapter 7, verse 31, he lets us know that it was in Gentile territory because it was in Decapolis. Decapolis means ten cities, and that was the place where Gentiles or non-Jews inhabited. So a couple of things we need to keep in mind about Jesus. He is compassionate toward people. He is moved at the plight and pain of people. We see this in our text. He does not stand aloof and untouched by the suffering of people and their pain and their agony and their difficulties in life. And this includes you. You're sitting here this morning, perhaps you're, you're struggling with something and you're having your own pains and difficulties and, and you wonder, does Jesus care? Yes, he does. He is not indifferent to your suffering. He is not indifferent to our suffering. Another thing about the Lord is that he is a king. The gospel writers present different aspects of who he is. They hold him up like a diamond to the sunlight, and you get glimpses of the different facets of his character, his personality and his person and his power, and all of that is known about him in the Gospels. Mark, for example, presents him as a servant. Luke, in his presentation of Jesus, portrays him as the Son of Man. John reveals that he is none other than God in human flesh. When we come to Matthew, Matthew presents him as the king of the Jews, a king who has a kingdom whose kingdom will come. His kingdom now and his kingdom to come includes Gentiles. That's why I'm tying this together here. His ministry to Gentiles in this sequel is one of the previews of his coming kingdom. In his kingdom to come, the dominant problems of the world will be all but eliminated. You need to keep that in mind. It's when his kingdom comes in a fuller manifestation, in a visible manifestation, in an earthly expression, the dominant problems in the world will all but be eliminated. Sickness, disease, hunger, death, those will be infrequent realities. The curse will be largely removed. That is the not yet aspect of the kingdom. Presently, Jesus rules as king over the hearts of the redeemed. If you're a child of God, 
he is your Lord and he is your Savior and he is your King. He exercises his authority as your personal monarch and he gives you direction. He tells you what to do and what not to do. And you've had a heart that's been changed and therefore you yielded to your king. He is your sovereign. He is your Lord. And you said, yes, Lord, this is what you want me to do. And, and when you get out of line, he is also a king who knows how to forgive. That's good news, isn't it? But when he comes again, his rule will extend over all things. And that coming again is, let's term it the not yet. We're living in the now, in the not yet. So what that means, things are going to go wrong. You're going to have problems. You're going to have difficulties. Being a Christian does not exempt you from the world's troubles. If you're looking for somebody or a religion that's going to get rid of all your problems, good luck with that. <laughs> you're not going to find it. There is no such thing. We're living in the now with all its sorrows and all its hurts and all its pains and other assortments of the complications of living under the curse. When Adam and Eve disobeyed God, then all of this stuff was unleashed in life. You all know, yesterday is the nation celebrated Veterans Day. It was alluded to by a prayer in our brother, of our brother. The reason we have Veterans Day is because people have died. The reason people died is because people in their evil have machinations about overtaking another nation, about greed, about all manner of things, and war ensues, and people die in defending their nation and their liberty. That's all because we live in a world that's under a curse. When you go and celebrate the veterans, remember, we live in a world that's under a curse because man disobeyed God. And as a consequence, we're all having to deal with that. And it'll continue. Go to the cemetery. And when you walk in the cemetery, understand it's because Adam and Eve disobeyed God and we're living under a curse. That has fallen upon humanity. But we're not in the not yet. We're not living in the not yet. Things aren't going to get fixed. At least not yet. And we know that. If you understand what the Bible teaches, it's not going to get fixed entirely. However, Jesus is compassionate in the now. He is merciful in the now. His goodness is available now. He knows how to meet your need. He knows how to comfort you and console you and help you now. Because he is a compassionate Christ. And that's what the Bible here teaches us about him. Our first heading, compassion for the sick and handicapped. The B portion of verse 29 he went along the Sea of Galilee, and having gone up on the mountain, he was sitting there. He announced his presence uh, to the people in the area. They would recognize him because they knew who he was. People from Decapolis, in fact, uh, were among those who followed him. Matthew chapter 4, verse 25. 
they, they had seen his power to heal. And it became known to them that Jesus, the healer, is sitting on the mountain. And the crowds began to come, verse 30. They began to gather to him. Travel was slow in those days. So it would uh, take a while for uh, a massive crowd like the one we know that's recorded here to get to where Jesus was. Moreover, in this crowd, you had people who were lame. They don't move as quickly as able-bodied people. We have other people who are blind, and they too, it takes them a while, and crippled people, and what that means is it'd be difficult for them to get there quickly, and they had to be brought, many of them, perhaps carried to this place where Jesus is. Now, Matthew, you'll notice in verse 30, he itemizes them. Lame, crippled, blind, mute, and many others. He, he gives the various categories of sickness as if to stress that as many kinds of sick people were healed among the Gentiles as among the Jews. Jesus' compassion to them. One group in this listing needs special attention this morning. The people in the group crippled. The word in the original language, that is the Greek, uh, refers to any part of the body that is deformed or unusable. Sometimes refers to a body without arms, legs, eyes. And they brought a person like that to Jesus. After the itemization, Matthew says, and you see it there in the text, many others. There's a great many people there with all manner of maladies and problems and that couldn't be solved medically. And they brought him to Jesus. And they laid them down at his feet. That phrase just seems so serene. You can, in your mind, just reading that phrase, think, well, they just took him up to Jesus and said, Lord, here he is. Actually, the word laid means to cast or throw down in haste. To cast or throw down in haste. They couldn't reach Jesus too quickly because they knew, think about this, these people knew that Jesus could take care of this problem. And boy, did he. The text is unambiguous. And he healed them. No matter the disease, no matter the nature of the physical malady, Jesus healed them. What a display of power. What a display of compassion. What a display of mercy to people who couldn't be healed otherwise. And they took him to Jesus like they dropped him off at the hospital and Jesus discharged him fully recovered. Boy, to go and get healed like that. What was the people's response? That word marveled in the New American Standard. They struck with awe. They were dumbfounded at what they witnessed. They saw the obvious, instantaneous, unambiguous healing of people, some with deformities, some who were blind, some who could not speak. They saw it and they understood clearly there's nothing but the power of the living God. 
supernatural power. Think about it. They saw, saw people who were mute speaking. Uh, they, they, maybe it's a neighbor, and the neighbor, they knew he couldn't speak, and they took him there, and Jesus healed him. That man began to speak. And I, I would take it that he didn't have to learn like a baby does. You have to teach him that. Ah, ah, that ah, my, my. No, 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 no. He just began to speak. He was fluent because Jesus instantaneously healed him with the power of speech. blind man instantly had eyes and could look up and see the sun he could see all the people and all the crowds and later on he'd be able to eat and put the food in his own mouth because he knew where it was <laughs> lame walking maybe people had to help him maybe uh, the lameness involved having to have a help kind of like a crutch toss the crutch away and they didn't have to put it somewhere to go back and get it when the healing didn't take. You know, I'm, I'm waiting. No, 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 no. They could walk. All that reality going on. Notice what it says. They glorified the God of Israel. Glorified the God of Israel. Now, you need to understand something about these people. I've alluded to it. They were pagan people. They didn't grow up in church. In Sunday school, they grew up believing in idols. The idols were powerless to deliver them or their loved ones and friends from their physical disabilities. And they understood that. Perhaps they even called out to them like the woman who wanted her daughter delivered. And there was no answer because they didn't exist. And they glorified the God of Israel. The God of the Jews, whose power was displayed without any ambiguity in the healings, and they glorified him. They praised him. Without using the word compassion, Jesus demonstrated in his healing of all of these people. But he's not done there. See, the compassion for the sick and the handicapped. Our next compassion for the hungry. Jesus called his disciples to him and said, I feel compassion for the people. The gospel writers it is stated that Jesus felt compassion. They usually tell us Jesus felt compassion, but here Jesus speaks in the first person. He let it be known that I feel compassion. He tells his disciples this. J.C. Ryle um, commentator, pastor, wrote these words. It is a curious and striking fact that of all the feelings expressed by our Lord upon earth, there is none so often mentioned as compassion. His joy, his sorrow, his thankfulness, his anger, his wonder, his zeal are all occasionally recorded, but none of these feelings are so frequently mentioned as compassion it's compassionate Christ compassion is the Greek uh, word literally means to be moved in one's bowels the viscera in the gut it's where the feelings of pain are Jesus says I feel it in my gut the English word compassion derives from a Latin word meaning to suffer with 
and conveys feelings of deep sympathy, pity, kindness toward those hurting. It's the way Jesus was. That's all bound up in that phrase, I feel compassion. God's self-revelation in Exodus chapter 34, verse 6 says this, The Lord, the Lord, compassionate and gracious. God told uh, Moses, I am a compassionate and gracious God. Jesus is God incarnate. And compassion marked him. When you pray to him, you're praying to one who has compassion. You pray to one who feels your pain. That compassion, we see even in this gospel of Matthew in 9, 9, he, he sought out lost sinners. His compassion, he saw people need, in need of a shepherd. They needed spiritual guidance. And his compassion, he wanted to provide guidance for people who were lost in their sin, who needed spiritual guidance of a shepherd. It's because of his compassion. And I'm going to tell you, I believe the text here clues us in on something. You notice it says up there back in verse 29, it says, he was sitting there. That is the posture of a rabbi when he is teaching. I believe that Jesus, during this time he was there with them, he taught them the word of God. Three days he was there. They were hungry. They were there, the healings and teaching. They had exhausted their supplies that they had brought with them when they started out. In three days, they were there. They spent the night. Think about it. These people listened to Jesus the first day. The people being healed said, you know what? I'm not going home. I'm staying here because I want to be in on the next session. So the next day, they're up in Adam and Jesus. Maybe some more folk were brought and he healed them, but he also taught them. And they had a little food, but that doesn't matter. I'm not going home. Jesus' teaching was so compelling. He was sharing with them what they needed to know. And here they hear his truth coming to them and said, I, I can't leave here. I got to stay here. And I know what that's like. I've gone to sh the Shepherds Conference out in California, and when I get there, I'm excited. After the first day, I'm tired. But I said, boy, this is good. Can't wait till tomorrow. Then the next day comes, the second day of the three-day conference. I said, boy, it's going to be over the day after tomorrow. I don't want to leave. The Word of God. I can't imagine what it's like when you're sitting and listening to the Jesus Christ, the Son of God, expound the Word, God incarnate, the Word. man said to his wife, Martha, what have you got left? She says, we have one little loaf and, a, and one little fish. Split it, baby. And we'll eat that and stay here one more day. <laughs> they didn't want to leave. Jesus, in his compassion, I do not want them down at the bottom of the verse, and I do not want to send them away hungry, for they might faint on the way. Now, that word faint be rendered to be weary or, or to give out. The word literally means to be completely unloosed. D. Edmund Hebert 
puts it this way. It suggests that the strength of the hungry people will relax like an unstrung bow and they will be unable to continue homeward, end of quote. That's how Jesus saw them. He said, I- I'm concerned about them. I've taught them. I've healed them. They have to go home now, but I don't want to send them home hungry. They need to be fed. Disciples, bless their hearts. They say, where would we get so many loaves in this desert place to satisfy such a large crowd? I know what you're thinking. Come on, guys. If just a few months ago, your Lord just fed 5,000, and you're asking this question, where we, really? Do you not know who you have, <laughs> who you're following? I'm going to tell you what, these men forgot something. They forgot the spiritual lesson that they had been taught by Jesus. They were men of little faith. Don't you knock them, because you can be like them too. They had not learned the spiritual lesson. You say, how do you know that, Pastor? I'm going to tell you how I know it, because Jesus refers to it over in chapter 16, verse 8. Look what it says there. But Jesus, aware of this, said, you men of little faith, why do you discuss among yourselves that you have no bread? Do you not yet understand or remember that the five loaves of the 5,000, how many baskets full you picked up? Are the seven loaves of the 4,000, how many large baskets full you picked up? They were men of little faith. And we're like this too. In our past experiences, when God has helped us, he's delivered us, we can forget when a new crisis comes. We can forget all about what the Lord has done. We look at the looming problem and we say, oh my, 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 and you like the disciples. What you need to do, you need to remember and reflect. Remember David wrote that psalm, Psalm 103, uh, Bless the Lord, O my soul. I'll forget none of your benefits, speaking to God, the earthly gifts and blessings. What you have to do is remind yourself of what God has done for you in the past. You need to remember how he delivered you in the past, how he comforted you in the past, how he carried you through in the past. You need to remember those things. Write it down if necessary, but you need to remember. You need to praise him for it too. What he's done. But we can be like them. We can quickly forget. But Jesus was training these guys. He needed to teach them that I am your resource. I'm the one you can depend on. No matter what you're facing, no matter what the crisis is, or no matter what you will have to deal with the ministry, I'm the one who is your source, your supply. I'm the one that you need to look to. He's going to drive it home to them. You know, what do they have? Somebody had seven loaves and somebody had a few small fish. Jesus didn't tell them what he was going to do. He just said, have everybody sit down. He organized them. And then he took seven loaves and the fish and giving thanks, 
and he broke them and started giving them to the disciples. You see, you see, you see, you see how simply the miracle is recorded. Here you go, Matthew. Here you go, Thomas. Here you go, Peter. They go to trip and they come back. Here you go, Matthew. Here you go, Thomas. And he just kept doing that. 4,000 men plus women and children. And you think about it, These guys were standing. They were getting this. They were doing the distribution of the food. They're watching a miracle take place before their very eyes. And they're going and they're giving it to people and people are eating it. All of these people, they're watching this miracle. And yet, Jesus had to tell them in Matthew chapter 16, Oh, you men of little faith. But he was patient with them. He did the miracle. He created food on the spot. He multiplied seven loaves and a few small fish. And you say, well, let me tell you something. That's a miracle. You try it. <laughs> and I'm going to tell you something. There was a time when he didn't have anything to work with because in Genesis 1-1 it says, in the beginning, God created the heaven. There was no anything. He just spoke it all into existence. Ex nilo, out of nothing. So it seems to me, in fact, I know it's a fact of God who can create out of nothing. He can take seven loaves and a few fish and create food. And so they all ate. Verse 38, 4,000 men. We don't know how many people were there because you got uh, women and children. So maybe eight, ten thousand 10,000 people were fed. Now, you'll notice something in verse 37. Everybody was satisfied. They picked up what was left over of broken pieces. Seven large baskets full. Let me tell you about this basket. This is not an Easter basket. Basket means large hamper. It is the same kind of basket that was used to lower the Apostle Paul in over the Damascus wall in Acts chapter 9, verse 25. Man-sized basket. Seven of them. An abundance that Jesus created. What do they do with it? We don't know. The text doesn't say. It really doesn't matter. We know he did it. Matthew knows he did it because he was there. Peter knew he did it because he was there. And he told Mark. John was, knew he did it because he was there. And people have wondered, well, uh, maybe these two accounts, the 4,000 and the 5,000 is a single account, and Matthew uh, just changed some things and stuck it in here to make it appear that Jesus did more miracles. No, that's a lie. He did this miracle. In fact, I'm not so sure that he didn't do more feedings. In fact, I would think he probably did. They're just not recorded. It's not like he got tired after the first two. 
You say, well, how, how, why would you think that? John chapter 21, verse 25 says this. John, at the conclusion of his gospel about Jesus, he says this, and there are also many other things which Jesus did, which if they were written in detail, I suppose that even the world itself would not contain the books that would be written. All the miraculous works that Jesus did are not written here. You can't get through the four Gospels hardly. <laughs> Can you imagine what it's like if everything was put down? You'd be overwhelmed. Of course he's speaking hyperbolically here, the whole world, but it, the hyperbole is to demonstrate there was a massive number of miracles that Jesus Christ did while he was here in, in his public ministry. What a God. What a Savior. What a Lord. And he's compassionate. Compassionate toward us. He had compassion for the daily needs of people. But more, oh, more importantly, had compassion for the spiritual needs of people. Because when it's all said and done, that is what ultimately matters. His compassion, his miracles were pointing to who he is, that he is Messiah, that he is the Redeemer. And what he can do in the physical level, he can do in the spiritual level. He can save a soul. He can feed a stomach. He can save your soul. The miracle of the new birth, he can do that. I want to also apply it to us. When we are compassionate toward people in need, we're just like Jesus. We're like God. There will be people in need, and they will need our help, and we have the resources to help them. Then when we do, we're acting like our Lord. Let me also caution you, present Christ to the lost ones. Share the gospel with them. For what good does it do if you feed the body but never give them an opportunity to have their souls transformed by the grace of God? Share the gospel. And then they'll worship. The goal of ministry is worship. Verse 31, we've seen it already, it says here, and they glorified the God of Israel. You see, we want God to be glorified. Amen. We want to point to him that he is the source. He is the one who's provided. We're just his instruments, and when he's glorified, that is the whole goal of our ministry. That's why we do what we do for his glory. Put him on display. Now you're saying, well, what about sickness today? I'm going to tell you something. God still heals. Yeah, he does. He answers prayer. People have been given up for dead. And they're still here. God still heals. We can call on him. We, we've seen that in our church, how people have been delivered. They've been helped because God answered our prayers. He's able. Because he's a God of compassion. He's a God of mercy. And you may need a sequel in your life. He'll come and if it's will for you, he'll meet that need. But if he doesn't, he'll help you along the way. And if it's time for you to die, it doesn't matter. Because you're going to go be with him. 
You're going to be in his presence. You'll see him face to face than being here. Amen. It's all because of the merciful compassion of our God and our Christ. Those who belong to him have a great expression of his goodness. Let's bow together in prayer. Our Father and our God, we thank you for the truth that we have just looked at and studied and read and applied. May our hearts uh, be more and more grateful to you for who you are and what you've done in our life. We give you glory. We give you praise. You are the God of Israel. You are the God of creation. You're the God of the universe. You revealed yourself fully in the second person of the Trinity, the Lord Jesus Christ. We give you thanks for him and what he did. We give you thanks for his death, burial, and resurrection. His triumph over sin, over Satan, and over the grave. Thank you for the salvation that belongs to all who call upon him. We will receive the forgiveness of sin walk in the newness of life have their souls healed and delivered and we pray these things with gratitude now in the name of Christ Amen